got a good crowd here today. It's uh, good to see you here today. Like Tony said, my name is Gino Allison. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to welcome you all to the South Suburban Vineyard Church. Special welcome to anybody who might be visiting with us for the very first time today. So glad to have you here with us. And also anybody who might be listening to us through our website or podcast, you're welcome to come and worship with us here on Sunday morning. Well, before I begin, just a few quick things. Uh, Some of you, if you were here last week, you know that I mentioned uh, the flooding that happened in uh, Baton Rouge, uh, Louisiana. Devastating floods, reported to be larger than Katrina, devastating loss. And so we have some vineyard churches in that area that are doing some fantastic relief work and helping people sort of recover from the things that they've lost. And so they've been setting up stations at these churches. And as I've spoken with some of the pastors there, I told them that our church would sort of get behind this relief effort. We couldn't send people, but we'd be able to send resources. And so I mentioned this last week, and you guys responded really, really well, and, and your gifts were coming in still on the website this week. And I told you last week that we would offer one more opportunity for you to give to this relief effort. And so when the offering uh, comes at the end of this, uh, after the sermon, uh, you'll have an opportunity to give and support this, and you can also give online, but we plan to send this uh, off to them uh, in the middle of the week this week, so you have some opportunities to give uh, there. Also, we, uh, we have a few new members that I want to say hello to. The South Suburban Vineyard is a church that we wish uh, to continue to grow, and we had our uh, membership class just yesterday, and I just want to say welcome to uh, Patricia Robinson. Patricia, would you just wave? And I also want to say welcome to Steve and India Pajou. Where, where are you guys today? And so these are our newest members, and would you just, maybe don't hug them without their permission, but when you see them after service today, just go up to them and say, welcome to the uh, vineyard. India, India likes hugging, so you can hug her. Uh, say, welcome to the vineyard family. We're happy to have you, and we pray that God will continue, continue to grow, grow our church. Well, about two months ago, I was sleeping soundly in my bed, as I do most nights. And I was awakened to my wife just sort of shaking me gently to wake me up. And of course, you know, it takes me a few seconds to get, you know, sleep out of my eyes. And when I finally focused my eyes on her, I realized that she had been crying. And so still a little bit sleepy, but the two words that she said next woke me right up out of my sleep. She said, I'm pregnant. And I said... So needs to say, by by this time, I'm completely woke right now because we weren't particularly um, trying to get pregnant. Uh, We have three children, already three boys, and so, you know, the shock of it all, as we worked through that that morning, I began to become excited about it, and and all these thoughts started to swirl. Now, I've been here before, right, Uh, with these three other boys that we've had that God has blessed us with. Uh, Whenever we're about to bring another child into this world, all these thoughts start to swirl Uh, in my head and in my mind, but there's one thought that comes back to me over and over and over whenever we come to a point like this, and that thought is this, I really hope I don't mess this up. I really hope that I don't mess this up, and by this I mean this innocent life that didn't ask to be here, that was bought into this world by well-meaning parents. I really, really hope that I don't mess this up got a little bit of experience as a parent, and what I've realized in my eight or so years of parenting is that parenting comes with a whole lot of influence. Uh, For better or for worse, we get to shape these children. 
I think back to my life with my own parents, specifically my father. Um, Whatever he liked, I liked. What he thought was cool and who he thought was cool, I thought was cool. His sports teams that he liked, I would root for those sports teams. If he got up to shine his shoes, I'd go get my Payless shoes and I'd put some Vaseline on them too. What he thought was right and wrong became my idea of right and wrong. His biases became my biases. His prejudices became my prejudices. If he said, hey, those people are no good, then those people were no good to me. If those people were pointed out as being lazy or worthless, then that's what I would adopt as well. His work ethic, excuse me, his work ethic became my work ethic. What what he felt entitled to became the things... I was entitled to. His politics and worldview became mine. And so I realized as I have the responsibility to shape these little innocent lives, these big eyes just look at me and I'm the coolest thing in their life right now. I don't know how long that's going to last, right? But I have so much influence in their life and for better or worse... I'm tasked with shaping these lives. And when I'm faced with that reality, my prayer to God is, Lord, please, please don't let me mess this up. Please don't let me botch this. And so on a Sunday like today, Child Dedication Sunday, this isn't just some ordinary Sunday. This is a really important Sunday. We don't approach this lightly. And while these dedications take on some ceremonial flair where people come up, I see the, these beautiful young uh, children are dressed very nicely in these fluffy dresses. There's some ceremony involved, right? But there's more to this uh, than ceremony. There's more to this than people standing up. Dedication means to devote something to something. To ceremonially assign something to something or someone else. And friends, what we're assigning and what we're devoting today is our children unto God. Our children up to God simply because God's plan for us is for us to raise godly kids. God's plan for us is to raise godly kids. And by godly, I don't mean angelic. I don't mean that somehow they'll be so good that they'll sprout wings. I simply mean that God expects for us to raise these children in the way of the Lord. Now, here on Child Dedication Sunday, I just got to present to you as I work through this this morning that I have some basic assumptions about what it means to raise godly kids and just the realities of that. And the first basic assumption is that raising kids is a matter of stewardship. It's a matter of stewardship. I used to approach stewardship in a way that, you know, I'm thinking that stewardship means I take really good care of my own stuff. But that's not stewardship at all. Stewardship is taking care of somebody else's stuff really well. And so in the sphere of the kingdom of God and the sphere of what it means to be a Christian, we understand that every good and perfect gift comes from God and that every good thing that I have is not my own. It's simply been loaned to me by God to be a good steward of. And so this is especially true when it comes to our kids. Those aren't your kids. They've just been loaned to you. They've just been put in your care for you to raise them and for you to take care of them. And since these kids belong to God, and he has a prescribed way to take care of them, we can also assume that there is a right and a wrong way to do this. We can assume that there is a right 
and a wrong way to do this. This is not like eating like a Reese's peanut butter cup, right? The tagline is there's no wrong way to do it. There's the right and a wrong way to do this. And so as such, we need to lean in to hear and receive what God might have to say about how we should do this. And the final basic assumption that I'll lead with this morning is that you can do everything right. You can do everything right. You can raise your kids to be godly kids. You can, you know, tattoo scriptures on their foreheads. You can read to them Bible verses at night. You can do everything right, and they can still get to a certain age and completely blow up their life. And so I don't want to present this to you as a guarantee that if you, if you raise godly kids or if you do it God's way, that your kids will never forsake the Lord, that they won't make bad decisions, and that they won't completely turn their backs on God. I'm not promising you that because you can do everything right and things can still go terribly wrong. But I'm here to tell you that God's plan for us is to raise godly children. So as we're here on Dedication Sunday, this really isn't about the kids. The kids will probably go to sleep halfway through what I'm talking about. They could care less about what I'm talking about. So I'm not really addressing them today. I'm addressing the parents. I'm addressing the family, the support systems that have come to rally around this cause of raising these kids in a godly way because God's plan is for us to raise godly children. I've simply called this message this morning, Raising Kids God's Way. Raising Kids God's Way. And so this will serve as a reminder to each and every one of these parents who are dedicating their children today what they're signing up for. Some of them might, after hearing this, say, you know what, we'll go next time. (laughs) But I want to remind you and the families that have come to support you in this effort what God really expects of us as it relates to dedicating our children to the Lord. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's in the Older Testament of Scripture. Turn with me if you have your Bible. Some of you have your Bibles. Some of you will be reading along with me on your phones or your tablets. If you don't, by the way, have a Bible, there are Bibles on the edges of your rows. Feel free to grab one of those. And if you don't have a Bible at home, by the way, feel free to take one of those Bibles with you as a gift from us to you. If you've been sort of systematically taking a Bible each week, would you just start to bring some of those back because we're getting a little thin on Bibles. Deuteronomy chapter 6. We'll start at verse 4. Before we do that, let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for each and every person gathered here today. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for Christian community, Lord, that we get to live this out and walk this out together. And Lord, I pray that you would speak truth today. I pray, Lord, that you would come in power. I pray, Lord, that you would guard us against anything that would cause us to bristle or be offended at your truth. Father, I just pray that you would go before us and clear the path so that our hearts and our minds are soft landing spots for your truth today. For those parents, Lord, who have bringing children today to be dedicated. Father, I just pray a special blessing on them this morning. I pray that you would open their ears and their hearts wide, Lord, to receive what you want to pour out today. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let's start at verse 4. Now, Deuteronomy is is one of the books of, of of, of the law. Simply put, um, it contains uh, the story of Moses getting the law or the, the ways that the people are supposed to live out their life and community together in relationship with God. Uh, God's giving these laws to Moses. Some of you are familiar with the Ten Commandments. And Moses is giving these uh, laws 
to the people of Israel, basically helping them understand how they're supposed to live uh, their life. In the previous chapter, Moses has given the people of Israel the Ten Commandments, instructions to love God, warnings against idolatry, warnings against taking God's name in vain, uh, honoring the Sabbath, and so on and so forth. And so he follows up in in chapter 6, what we're going to read today, uh, with just some helpful hints on on what to do with what he's just given them, what to do with the Ten Commandments, what to do with God's law and his prescriptions. We start today uh, at verse 4. Moses says this, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So a short passage of scripture, but there's a lot here. And in the interest of full disclosure today, I want to just sort of make clear that this isn't like one of the classic passages in the Bible about raising children. There's tons of scripture that specifically address what it looks like to raise children, gives us insight to different scenarios, and gives us some specific intelligence on how to raise kids. This isn't one of those passages. This isn't a passage about how to raise godly children, but this is a passage which gives us instructions for what it means and what it looks like to be a godly person. Say that again. This isn't a a passage specifically geared to raising godly kids, but it is a passage that specifically drives toward what it looks like and what it means to be a godly person. And this is important because many of us want to live life well. We clamor for books and, and sermons and instruction and counsel on how, do we, how, how am I supposed to be a godly wife? How am I supposed to be a godly husband? How am I supposed to be a godly boss? How am I supposed to be a godly single person or godly employee? We clamor for specific nuanced instruction on how to, to, to navigate all those specific areas of life. And I just come this morning to help simplify things for you this morning. I'll simplify it for you this morning by saying this. If you are a godly person, that is, a person who is devoted to God, you will be a godly wife. If you're a godly person devoted to God, loving him, honoring him, serving him, you will be a godly husband. You'll be a godly boss, and you'll do right, right, right by your employees. You'll be a godly employee, and you'll be, you know, give your employer an honest day's work. If you're a godly person, you'll be a godly teacher, and you'll be a godly athlete, and you'll be a godly mime if you're into that sort of thing. You'll be a godly parent if you work hard to first devote yourself to God as being a godly person. Some of you know people. They've changed careers six, seven times, and they always land on their feet. They always excel in what they do because they're a hardworking person. They're a learner. And as such, they can give themselves to any task and do reasonably well because of who they are, who the core and the essence of who they are. Well, the same is true as a follower of Jesus. The same is true as somebody who takes God into their heart, values his teachings and his and in his principles, they can be given to almost any sphere of life because they've chosen first to devote 
themselves, to devote themselves. And as we stand here on Child Dedication Sunday, I want to give you three quick steps to raising godly kids. This won't cover the whole deal, but this is just sort of big picture, a way for you to understand how to raise uh, godly kids here. And once we walk through this, we'll call the families up and we'll dedicate these kids if you're still up for it, okay? So step one, raising godly kids. Step one is that you must first dedicate yourself, that you must first commit yourself. I say over and over and over that you can't give away anything that you don't have. And in the same way, you cannot devote yourself, you can't devote anything to something that you haven't devoted yourself to. And parents throughout, the, throughout history have tried this by sending their kids to church. And what's, what, 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 what's the latest and greatest sort of kids, you know, resources and Bibles that we buy? Because the kids are at that age now where they need the Lord. What, what Christian camps can I send them off to? Who, who's got the slickest VBS camp so that we can send our kids there so maybe this will catch on in their life, regardless of what their home life is like and what life with you is like? Like, what's the, what's the hippest thing that we can do uh, that will shortcut around, like, me devoting myself and being an example? Like, who's got the latest thing? And if you want to do this thoroughly, if you want to do this right— You've got to first dedicate yourself and commit yourself. Now, God is faithful. Some of you are living witnesses that God is faithful to keep you and to guide you and help you navigate your way to him, even if you don't have godly parents or good examples at home. But that's the exception, friends, and not the rule. First step in this is that God expects you to commit and dedicate yourself. First says this in verse 4, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone and you must love God with your, heart and all, uh, with your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And you must commit yourself, get that, commit yourself wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. In short, he's saying, give yourself to God. Give yourself to God. Now, that's really hard to do. But we've got a whole lot of practice giving ourselves to lots of other things giving ourselves to relationships, good and bad, giving ourselves to work, we give ourselves to all sorts of vices and harmful things, besetting sins that just sort of take root in our life and just get comfortable and, and invite some of their buddies. We're really good at giving ourselves to those things. And we even have taken to giving ourselves in unhealthy ways to constructive things like church and religion and nonprofit organizations. We, we give ourselves to all sorts of things. But this command to, um, uh, to, to put God first and to wholeheartedly give ourselves to these commands point us back to what's happening in chapter 5. And I'll read it, verse 7. You must not have any other gods but me. This is the instruction that God gives Moses to give the people. You must not make for yourself any idol of any kind or any image of anything in the heavens or in the earth or under the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I... The Lord, your God, and my jealous God, who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. He continues by saying, I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generation of those who reject me. Verse 10, but I lavish unfailing love 
for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. See, the Lord in this opening commandment is attacking the root of all sinfulness, and that is idolatry. Idolatry is one of those big Christian words that simply means having anything in the number one spot of your life other than God. I've said many times that our life boils down to two things, choices and priorities. Make your choices based on your priorities. Your priorities are simply the list of things in order that are important to you and doesn't matter what's second, doesn't matter what's third, doesn't matter what's fourth, doesn't really matter what's 15th. In the grand scheme, it only matters what's number one. Because number one's going to run the show every time. And so the truth is it doesn't matter if God is a close real close, like photo finish close second. If he's not number one, he's going to lose to whatever is most important to you, no matter what it is. And that, friends, is what God refers to as an idol. I know when we think about idols, we think about some statue with candles around it. Maybe that was their deal then, but idols these days take a much different form, take a much different shape. They take the form of relationships. They take the form of resource and wealth, the American dream, our issues, our vices, the thing that keep us stuck. God says, don't put any of that before me. Otherwise, you won't live the good life, and you certainly won't bring your kids into an understanding of what the good life looks like. It warns us against idolatry, warns us against all of this. And in short, he's saying, put me first Scriptures, other places, put it a different way. God is saying, fear me. Fear me. Fear me. If you want to live the good life, you want to live the abundant life, Proverbs chapter 1 tells us that the beginning of living the good life, a functional, healthy life with God, is the fear of the Lord. Now, some of you might be unfamiliar with that terminology, and you think we think fear, we think, we think afraid, and we don't want to think of God in that way. But this fear here means like a deep reverence, like an awe for God. An understanding that God's not your buddy. He's not your pal. He's not somebody to shoot the breeze with. This is God. A God that spoke to nothing and created everything that we see. A God that knows the beginning as well as the end. A God that can see around corners. This isn't our pal. This is God. And the secret to living the good life the secret to living a devoted life, the secret to living a life void of idols, the secret to living a life where God is priority one is to fear him. And the goal, of course, is as you fear him, you will, through connection with your child, you will teach your child to fear the Lord as well. And you say, preacher, how in the world am I going to teach my child to fear the Lord? I got a real simple first step. You teach them to fear you. You teach them to fear you. And again, let's reclaim that word fear. I'm not talking about when you get close to them, they don't know if you're going to hug them or hit them. And they sort of, what's happening right here? I'm talking about that they honor you. And you demand that they respect you. And you demand that they speak to you a certain way. And they regard you in a certain way. This is super important. I see some, I see it so often, like the kids, like you call the kid like six times. 
Johnny, come here. And Johnny's playing with toys. Johnny, come here. And you start counting, right? And you're up to 200. <laughs> Don't let me get to 300. And Johnny's like, cool, I got to 300. I got some more stuff to do here. Um, but this is really legit. And so I, I realize also that this is kind of a sensitive thing. And parents kind of bristle a little bit when you start to tell them about how to raise their kids. But I don't really care that much this morning because this is what I came to do. Because God is hard. It's hard, to, hard for a kid to perceive God. Especially hard when they don't have a good relationship with you where you've demanded that they honor you. If you've demanded that they respect you. And you've demanded that they come when you call them. And they that stop when you say stop. You understand what I'm saying? We have all kinds of barriers to helping us develop this relationship with our kids. Maybe some of you feel like you've messed up so much that you're not deserving of respect. Maybe you had a, a challenging childhood where things went overboard and there was abuse, and so you swing to the other side. But let me tell you why this is important. Because when your, your kids right now, they can't really perceive God, and they're perceiving God through you at this point. But there's going to come a day. Well, they're going to need to relate to God. They're going to need to answer when the Lord calls them. They're going to need to respond to the barriers and the boundaries that God sets forth in this life. They're going to need to stop when the Lord says stop. And if you haven't worked it out and cultivated in their hearts and in their life a reverence and a healthy fear for you, then it's that much harder for them to relate to God in an honoring way. Not to mention the fact that you're going to send these little rascals to school one day. And they're going to have to walk the streets and interact with police and other citizens. And so you do yourself well to teach them, to help them understand that they must fear you. This plays out in the Allison home like this. Hey, I'm going to call you one time. Second time is going to have some heat on it. Now, what, you know, heat is relative to whatever child I'm dealing with, right? I'm not just prescribing a general heat because our kids are wired differently. But when I see, when, if I have to say it the second time, if I got to get up, somebody's in trouble. Now, am I on an ego trip? <laughs> Most days, no. <laughs> but man, my voice got to mean something to you. And I don't, have all the day, I don't have all day to say it. And to be honest, since we're, t- since we're on the subject, I think you'd like your kids better if they feared and respected you. You'd enjoy them more. You might find it easier to find a babysitter. <laughs> I'm just being practical right now. But you're certainly setting them up for when you have to hand them over to the Lord. When they get to that understanding that the Lord is God, he's not your buddy, he's not your pal, helping them to fear the Lord by teaching them to fear you. How do we raise godly kids? We we, we, we commit ourselves first. We move the idols out of our life and we devote ourselves to God. We fear the Lord. Step two is that we teach them, committed ourselves First, we devoted ourselves. That's a lifelong process. The second step is that we teach them. We teach them. 
And this should be easy if you've already devoted yourself because people usually talk a lot about the things that they're into. People usually talk a whole lot about the things that they're into. In fact, if you're really into something, somebody's really into something, it's really hard to get them to shut up about it. Really hard to get them to just be quiet. I think about the things that I'm really into. I'm on YouTube. I'm watching drummers. I'm watching guitarists. I got my wife next to me. Hey, look at this. Watch this lick he's going to do. And she could care less about it. Care less about it. The stuff I'm into, I, I know how to work it into the conversation. Like we're planting this church. We move here to start this church. I get really good at working our story into any conversation. I can work it into any conversation because that's what I was into. And so the instruction to teach our kids comes up in this passage. Verse 7 says, repeat them. Repeat what? These commands. The truth about who God is. The truth about what God expects. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road and when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. That's a lot of talking. That's a lot of talking. But the point that he's making here is that if you've committed yourself to God, then this should be thoroughly embedded in your understanding and so it'd be constantly coming out of your lips. Now, this is the picture that you shouldn't get, right? Your kids are sleeping. You wake them up in the morning at school, and as their eyes open, you've got the Bible there, and you're reading them verses like it's the first thing they hear. And as they're brushing their teeth, you're following them into the bathroom, and you're reading them, you know, commentaries and script. This is... <coughs> This is not, I don't think, what this passage is talking about. What he's saying is that we're supposed to need the truth of who God is, knead it into the dough of their hearts, bake it into the essence of who they are, and help them be able to see God and his truth and the reality about what he expects in every sphere of life, till it into the soil of their hearts. Now, this shouldn't be hard because you already have a grid for this. Do you know how many times I say pick that up in my house? Three boys, eight, five, and three. I'm thinking about just making a recording, you know, just so I can preserve my voice. See, the things that are important to me and the things that are important, I think are important to them as they move to the next state of life, I don't, it's instinct. Pick that up. Who do you think going to pick that up? But you. Hey, don't spit on your brother. Don't do that again. I mean, you know how many times I say that? <laughs> I don't have to make myself a note. Make sure, you know, I, you know, tell the kids not to spit on each other. Did you brush your teeth today, son? Did you use toothpaste? You know how many times I say that? I, nobody has to remind me to say that. That's like important stuff. Life, life's hard if your breath stinks. You're not going to get very far if you're spitting on people. You're not going to live very long if you keep dropping stuff in my house for me to pick up. See, I don't have to be reminded to say those things. Why? Because I've internalized that those are the things. Those and other things are the things that are going to help them be men. Help them grow, matriculate to the next stage of life. I don't have to be reminded about that. And so what Moses is saying is basically, why don't you assign the same degree of importance, if not more, 
to the things of God. And get creative as you get creative with your children, as you're teaching them their numbers, and as you're teaching them their letters, and as you're teaching them all sorts of other things. Get creative about baking this truth about who, the rea- who God is into their life on a daily basis. Repeat it again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. So these life lessons... Tie back to Scripture. Keep your word, son. Keep your word. I know you don't want to give him a dollar, but earlier I heard you say that if he gave you some candy, you'd give him a dollar. Did you say it? I know it's a terrible trade. Let that be a lesson to you. But did you say it? Like your yes be yes. That's in the Scripture. Give him the dollar. Tell the truth. There's zero tolerance for lying in our house. There's going to be some heat. Because that's, that's a basic principle of living this life with the Lord. You give thanks. Don't put a morsel of food in your mouth until we thank the Lord for them. And there's people who didn't eat today. And there's people who won't eat tomorrow. Put that fork down, and we're going to thank God for this. We bake it into their life. Be generous. It's not about you. Live generously and sacrificially. Say thank you. Please cultivate a life of gratitude. Say sorry when you mess up. A life of contrition and remorse. Baking it into their life. Do unto others. Do you want him to do that to you? Well, then don't do it to him. This is scripture. This is the commandments. Now, I didn't get a King James Bible and read it to them whenever they mess up. No, I'm just talking. This is natural. I'm parenting. But I'm doing so in the way of the Lord. Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, Raise up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, I think this is one of the most misunderstood passages in all of Scripture. It's misunderstood to mean that if you teach them right, they won't mess up. If you, if, you, if you do what I'm prescribing, they just simply won't mess up. And when they mess up, like they will do, because humans do that, we're rattled with all sorts of guilt, and we assume that somewhere we went wrong. I think a more accurate interpretation of this passage is that when you train your children in the way of the Lord, they will always have it with them. They will always have something embedded in their heart. I told you, knead it into the dough of their hearts. Till it into the soil of their hearts. They'll always have it with them such that when they get tired, when they hit bottom... They'll have something in them. And they'll say, you know what? I'm acting a fool. My mama didn't raise me like this. All those times dad used to say that stuff and it would get on my nerve, but oh, the old man was right. I got something to come back to when I come to my senses. And some of you fell. You hit bottom. Some of you came to the end of yourself and there was nothing in you to come back to because somebody didn't take the time to bake this stuff into your heart. And so I told you, man, we're just going to assume that I can do everything right and the kid can go completely off the rails. It's not really my job to worry too much about that, although I pray it doesn't happen. It's my job to do my part to instill in them the truth of who God is and help them understand where the lines are drawn so they can choose Make informed decisions. 
And even should they happen to go over the cliff, when they come to themselves, they will have some truth as a home base to come back to train up a child in the way to go. And when he is old, when he comes to himself, he will not depart from it. Teach them. Instruct them. Talk about it a whole lot. There's another step, though. Third and final step. There's, a, there's another step, and this is a little bit harder. Uh, many of us stop short of step two. And if you've stopped short of step two, you've probably skipped step one. Step three is that you show them. Step three is that you show them. Step three is that you walk this out so that they can see it. And some of us are real good at the talking part. Some of us are real good at the talking and instruction part. You know all the lingo. You, you, you know all the scriptures. You, got, you, know, you can rehearse, you know, rehearse memory like all the scriptures about kids obeying their parents. Like those just roll off the tongue with ease. So good at talking and instructing and, and teaching and this, that, and the other. But when it comes to what the kids see every day, uh, they're, they're confused. They're confused. And some of your kids don't recognize you at church. Like, they're like, who is this person? They're different. Talk different. They're not cussing. Smiling all the time. Who is this lady? I want this mom at home. I want this daddy to come home with me. Why? Because we're all talk, some of us. We're all talk. And let me tell you something. These kids are way smarter than we think they are. And the overriding truth that will win the day is what you do and not what you say. The overriding truth, the overriding communication that will win the day every time is what you do and not what you say. If you said to me, Gino, can I have one of those cookies? And I said, yes. Yeah, just take one. Yeah, just, go, just grab one. You were like, might be confused, but you probably won't grab one. Why? Because what I'm doing, my affect, like my, my, my head saying no, doesn't matter what my, and it's in the same way. You got to show them. Just tie them to your hands and wear them on your foreheads as reminders. Write them on the doorpost of your house and, and on your gate. And some of you are all talking, no corresponding action. See, this instruction to write these scriptures and write these truths and write these commandments on little, you know, strips of leather and sort of wrap them around your hands and to put them on the doorposts of your home and wear these sort of phylacteries, all these signs on you, was, to, was not for other people to be reminded, but to remind yourself to tell the truth, to remind yourself to honor the Lord, remind yourself not to speak his name in vain. Why? So that that could inform how you walk and how you work, and how you relate to other people. And some of us are all talk and no corresponding action. You say, boy, be generous, but you're stingy. Like, you're stingy. 
In every meaningful way, you're selfish. You think they don't see that? You say, don't lie. But you lie all the time. You, you, you're never at home when the bill collectors call. Like, tell them I'm not here. There's always some reason why, you know, you, 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 you had to lie that time. Don't lie, but you always lie. You're so dishonest. You say, keep your word. But, but when your mood changes, you change the commitments that you make. Yeah, I'm going to take you to the park. Yeah, yeah, and it's 9 o'clock in the morning. But you, after you clean the house and after you mow the lawn and after you do the thing, they, they, they're ready. We, we're going to the park. Oh, I'm just, I'm tired today. I'm tired right now. And that seems really meaningless, uh, but, but I've been on the other side of that. And I didn't go, oh, Dad's tired. What I, what I thought was he said he was going to do it. And what I remembered is that I got in trouble when I didn't do what I said. And so what I learned was somehow there's a different standard for big people, for grown-ups. You say, keep your word, but you don't keep your word. You say, save yourself from marriage. Don't just be giving it away. And here you are, Friday night, hey, you know, go over to grandma's because, you know, Jimmy's coming over. I mean, just put any name in there. It doesn't have to be Jimmy. You said, don't let any man treat you any kind of way. Respect yourself. And old Todd could just have his way with you. We're all talking, no corresponding action. You say, love everybody because God is love, but, oh, but there's those people, they're worthless. They're lazy. We don't, we don't deal with those folks. Yeah, we, we don't want to deal with them. But I thought you said, well, I know what I said, but... All sorts of racist, prejudicial things come out of you. What you do versus what you say. You say, listen, God is important. Church is important. But just about anything, including a law and order marathon, can keep you from coming. Can keep you from coming. All talk, no corresponding action. I tell you, I remember a lot of what my father said to me. This is a guy who was into the Lord, not just because he was a preacher, because he was a godly man. And as a godly man, God was what he was into, and this man wouldn't shut up about the Lord. He wouldn't shut up about the Lord. He baked those truths into almost everything he said to us. And the reality of God was clear because he constantly spoke that truth to us in ways that made sense to us. I remember a whole lot of what he said, mainly because there was so much corresponding action. I didn't forget what he said to me because I got to watch how he lived. I didn't have to remember to treat people well because everywhere we go, he, he treat people with more respect than they deserved. I have to remember to be generous because when I watched him, he was just so lavish and generous with other people. I didn't have to, you know, like, talk, you know, remember to keep my word and stuff like that because when I, when I watched him, with very few exceptions, he was a guy who, who kept his word. 
I'm a preacher today partly because I saw this man's example. Now, the flip side of that is, listen, every time my father did something that ran counter to what he said, every time he violated one of his own principles, I remember it with high-definition clarity. <laughs> this side's a little sleep. I'm going to talk to you. I remember it <laughs> with high-definition clarity even to this day. Say, what's your point, preacher? My point is this. When our words and our actions don't match, your kids may never say anything to you, but they see it. They see it. And my kids are clever enough. Sometimes they just misunderstand, right? My son, five-year-old Eli, he said, Dad, why'd you lie? I said, hold on, man, what... What happened? Why did you lie? I said, oh, I didn't lie. And sometimes it's a misunderstanding. I have to explain to him. But sometimes there's no way to explain it because he's right. <laughs> Eight-year-old says, Dad, you said we should keep our word, right? And this is how he starts the conversation. I'm like, <laughs> how do I answer this? <laughs> yes, I'm well, Earlier you said we we're going to go uh, to get some shoes today. And, you know, are we going to? Man, let me go get my shoes. <laughs> or if I can't do it, I got, I got to figure out a way to make that right, right? Because the same with my father. When it came down to what I said and what I did, if they didn't match up, they saw it. And they remember it. Now imagine what happens if you develop a pattern of that in your life. Well, most of the things that you say run counter to, uh, to what you do. You understand what I'm saying? You see how this can complicate the teaching them and instructing them and baking this into our life? You ain't going to bake it into their life by talking about it all the time, particularly if there is no corresponding action. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 18, verse 5, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me, but if you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin... It would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. What is Jesus saying? He says, I gave you those kids to take care of. Those aren't your kids. I, I, I loaned them to you to be a good steward of. And if you intentionally or by omission cause these little ones to stumble, woe unto you. Woe unto you. Woe unto you. So all of a sudden we took this thing out of the realm of this being optional or this being a good way to do it versus this being like the only way that is acceptable to God. We show them. We show them by our corresponding action that matches the thing that we say. We show them by talking to them and showing them our humanity and our imperfectness. We show them by living a devoted life. We commit ourselves. We teach them. More importantly, we show them. And many of you want so badly to be good parents. You want to be great parents, but you just, you just don't know how. 
You ask this morning, like, how do I get there? You know, parenting this huge job is this tall order. How do I accomplish it? Well, what's, what's the secret? What's the secret? And I tell you this this morning, you know what separates the successful from the failures? You know what separates the greats from the mediocre? You know what separates the overachievers from the underachievers in every sphere of life, including this one, especially this one, raising godly kids? It's this little something that a colleague of mine calls dailiness. Dailiness. And it's not just the mundane, but it's just the discipline of doing the right things over and over and over every single day. Dailiness. The discipline of doing the right things over and over and over again. Over and over and over again. Going to sleep, waking up, having some breakfast, and doing them over and over and over again. That's how you succeed at anything. That's how you accomplish anything that's worth accomplishing. Dailiness. And so what does that mean? And so we're devoting ourselves to God. We're constantly rooting out the idols in our life. We're fearing the Lord and we're teaching our kids to fear us through that, and we're doing that every day. Doesn't matter whether we had a long day. Doesn't matter where you've had it up to here and you just don't want to deal with it. You just don't want to be on today and like instructing your kids, and they don't have to listen today. You call them six times one day, and on that day where your fuse is short, like they really get it that day, they're confused. Yesterday I got six chives at this. You counted to 300 yesterday, and you just counted to one today. They're confused. How are they supposed to know where the edge is? Dailiness. You teach them every day. Bake it into their life. You till it into the soil of their hearts every day, every day. And you show them, you show them every day. You know that little clock that you have? It's not a real clock, it's a figurative clock where you take your Christian card and you sort of punch in and out. Like many of you, you're on the clock now. You punched in, it's Sunday, you're at church, right? But right on your way out, you just, you know, you, you punch out. Unfortunately, that's go time for your kids. That's, that's when these lessons matter the most. And so what separates the successful parents from the ones that fail, particularly at this, is that we, we, we destroy the clock. We never punch out. We're always on the clock because these eyes are always watching us. And the Lord says to us, woe unto anybody that causes these little ones to stumble. Woe unto any of them. Woe unto any of them. Commit yourself, teach them, show them. Now, if you're still up for it, you're still interested, we're going to dedicate these kids. We're going to dedicate these kids to the Lord. And so there's ceremony involved, but that's great. But this is just an outward show of what we've purposed in our heart to do um, with these kids as we walk out our daily life with them. So here's what we're going to do. If you're here today um, and you've brought a child to be dedicated, why don't you make your way up right now as quickly as you can? Um, and also, if you are family who've come to support you, you, you the support system for these families as they dedicate it, and you wish to stand around them as they dedicate their children, why don't you come uh, with them as well? I'm going to also invite our kids pastor up, our kids pastors up today, Nikki and Jordan, and they're all going to share a few words uh, right before we, we bless these kids.
So if you have children that are going to be dedicated, you've got enough space here to spread out. And I'm going to turn it over to them. Half the audience is going to be up here. <laughs> well, good morning. Uh, my name is Nikki Arsenault, and this is my husband, Jordan Arsenault. And we are the children's ministry coordinators here at the Vineyard. And Gino spoke a lot about child dedications today. Uh, so you have a firm understanding of what they are. And like he said, you know, this is more for the parents, you know, than the children. And the easiest way to explain child dedications is that this is a way for the parents and the families that are represented up here to publicly say, I'm going to put Christ, I'm going to put God front and center as we raise these children. And each of these five families have agreed to do this. You guys made your way up. You're ready to sign on. Um, and I'm going to share just a little bit about each family, and there will be some pictures projected on the screens as we go down the line. So we're going to start with the oldest child up here, and this is um, Cynthia Olivia Rivera. We call her Olivia in Kids Church. There's Olivia. <laughs> and she was born July 22nd of 2012, um, and this is Adriana Olivia's mom. And um, I asked each family to just share a little bit about their story uh, so you can have a flavor and get a taste of who they are. And um, Adriana said that Cynthia came into her life at a time when it was chaos. And she wasn't really in the state um, of mind to raise a child on her own, but she learned really quickly. And with the, with the love of Cynthia and with the love of her family, she had the courage to leave that chaotic life behind her and um, give Cynthia a better one. And I asked each family to share a verse, and the verse that she chose is Psalm 8-2. You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. So let's give Olivia a round of applause. <laughs> okay. And our next child being dedicated is Chloe. We tried to do this in age order. She has a big birthday coming up. Uh, she's almost one. She was born on August 29th, 2015. Chloe Lynn Elizabeth Robinson. <laughs> and Lisa and Curtis, her parents, they shared their testimony last year. Uh, they did have a health scare with Chloe um, when Lisa was pregnant, when a screening came back that she was at risk of having Angelman syndrome. But they're happy to report today that almost at one year old, Chloe shows absolutely no signs of Angelman's. She's very happy and very healthy baby. And the verse that they chose for Chloe um, is one that just shows that we serve a God who is faithful and who keeps his promises. And that's in Isaiah 54, 13 through 15. All your children will be followers of the Lord, and your children will enjoy great prosperity. You will be reestablished when I vindicate you. You will not experience oppression. Indeed, you will not be afraid. You will not be terrified, for nothing frightening will come near you. If anyone dares to challenge you, it will not be my doing. Whoever tries to challenge you will be defeated. So this is for Chloe. <laughs> And 
And our next family is uh, Jane Justin Embry. She was born on June 10th, 2016. <laughs> Jesse and Mark are Jane's parents, and uh, they feel that their journey to having Jane has really brought them closer to the Lord and closer as a couple. Uh, Jesse opened up when she was writing me her story and and said that they did suffer two losses before um, Jane was born. And during that time of heartbreak, Jesse says that, you know, she and Mark would pray together every night, something that they really hadn't done before. And they just learn to really trust God and give everything over to him. And they're so thankful that we serve a God who is faithful. And the verse that they chose highlights that faithfulness. It's Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a hope and a future. And Jessie just claimed that as her promise as she prayed for Jane when Jane was still in her womb. And um, we just hope that Jane, and we pray that Jane experiences that faithfulness and love of God all the days of her life. Now to this side, we have two more families. Um, This is Vivian Luann Aguirre. She was born July 7th, 2016. She's one of our new ones, newer ones. And Melanie shared her testimony last year. Um, And when I discovered that that you were pregnant, Melanie, um, I was just overcome with how much the Lord is a redeemer and a restorer. And Melanie and Eli's marriage um, was just made whole again. And baby Vivian is just a testimony of God's goodness and his mercy and his great love for you and for your children and your whole family. And I really feel that Vivian is just going to be a uniter and a blessing just to everyone that she encounters in her life. And um, the verse that you guys chose for her today is in 2 Samuel 22.3. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, and my place of safety. He is my refuge, my savior, the one who saves me from violence. <laughs> And last but not least, if you guys want to come forward a little bit, um, this is our newest baby in the vineyard. This is uh, baby Luisa Carolina Rennell Rao. And she was just born on August 5th of this year. So um, she was born at home to Lena and Bobby. These are her parents. And Lena just wrote this amazing testimony, and I'm just going to read what she sent me. Um, Louisa was born with the help of experienced midwives and loving doulas at home. And during Lena's pregnancy, she prayed to keep Christ at the center of her experience and just to extinguish any fears um, that she may have had or concerns and just really to keep her focus. Um, She focused on the following thoughts. Jesus Christ is our comforter. He's the most powerful form of pain relief. Breathe in the Holy Spirit. Exhale tension. And and during the delivery, you know, God is with me. He is my strength and my hope. She says the random K-Love playlist was um, playing on YouTube. And the song Good, Good Father by Chris Tomlin uh, was playing at the moment of Luis's birth. Just serving another reminder that we don't have to face our fears alone. 
And the verse that uh, the Rouse chose to share for Louisa is a greeting. Um, it was in Second Peter 1-2. So as Louisa's greeted into this world, um, this is what it says, Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. And Jordan's going to pray in a second, but before we do, we just have three questions, and we're going to ask that the parents uh, respond with we do or we will. Uh, The first question is, do you present your child in dedication to God's purpose for their lives? If you agree, please answer, we do. Realizing that no one is perfect, will you do your best to model for your child a life of obedience in Christ Jesus? If you do, please answer, we will. And when your child is old enough, will you work to lead them to make their own decision to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior? If you do, please answer, we will. All right. Great job, guys. So, guys, I'm just going to pray a prayer of strength for you and uh, to remind you that God loves you very much. Your Heavenly Father loves you more than you can imagine. And uh, you're called to love your kids just as much. This is a prayer actually from Ephesians that Paul has for the church in Ephesus. And he says this. Come Holy Spirit. Father in heaven. I pray from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty work at, through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all the generations forever and ever